Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Working Therapist. I'm Hayden Bolick, your host. And today, Kirstie Miles again is with me, and we are going to talk about supervision. And the type of supervision is when a therapist supervises an assistant, meaning when a speech, an occupational or physical therapist supervises a speech-language pathology assistant, a certified occupational therapy assistant, or a physical therapy assistant. That's what we're talking about today. And that's different than a supervisor, meaning like someone who's in charge and people report into. Because the way we do it here at PDT is the assistant does not report into the therapist. So the therapist isn't responsible for the assistant in terms of job performance and rating job performance and that kind of thing. We're talking about the supervision when a therapist supervises an assistant. And as a therapist, part of your job responsibilities is doing supervision for assistants. And so it's just kind of one of the expectations that happens. And if you are new to this profession, you should expect to do that at some point in your career. Yeah, and I think it depends on the organization too, which at PDT, we do hire assistants because we look for the right fit and the right who and the right person. So if that's a good match for PDT and for the employee, then there could potentially be an assistant to supervise. So we look for people that are on the bus to do that because we've felt that that's the right individual. It's a business need too, because sometimes the business need requires us to have an assistant with a therapist working there and that's what we do. And it helps us as therapists grow. Mm-hmm. It's something else that you can put in your toolbox of things that you can do if you're able to supervise an assistant. I've heard some therapists say, well, I don't really want to do that. I mean, those people don't work here, but I'm like, why do they say that? You know, it's an expectation and it's what we do and it helps you to grow. So I'm not sure why they say that, but that's not how we roll. So today we're talking about six things that will help you best understand your role as a supervisor or an assistant. So number one, the number one thing that I think in terms of supervision between the therapist and the assistant is know the rules. It is the therapist's responsibility to know the rules. It is the assistant's job to know the rules. I think the organization should also keep themselves informed and know the rules. And that means don't just read them once. Like, oh, yeah, look, here's the rules. I read them once. You need to read them every year. And you need to reacquaint yourself with them at minimum at least every year. Because there could be changes. There could be modifications. You might forget something. You just want to make sure you know the rules, you know. And you really can't not know the rules irresponsible. So recently, I just reread the rules for a speech therapist in North Carolina who is supervising a speech language pathology assistant. It's not that much fun reading these. I mean, they're kind of boring, honestly, if you want to know the truth. I don't know that any are that exciting. It sounds like, man, this is fun for me. Not really. But I read them about two months ago, and then I recently just reread them again because it is easy to forget some small pieces in there, and you do have to make sure you follow the rules. So as a therapist, I reread them so that I make sure I know what's happening. And then as an organization, someone who employs other people, before I have anyone enter into a supervisory relationship between a therapist and an assistant, I personally review all of the rules with them also to make sure that they have read them. That's kind of overkill. And I think it's a little bit more than I need to do, but I just like to make sure everybody's informed. Yeah. And I think it depends like with occupational therapy and the occupational therapy assistant supervision rules, it does depend on what year they're in. So the supervision rules for speech and PT, they're across the board. Doesn't matter if you're in year one or year five, but occupational therapy changes depending on their level of experience. So all of that is important to know when you're supervising a therapist. Yep. And I think rules also change from state to state. So what happens in North 
Carolina may be different than South Carolina, than Virginia, than wherever you go. So you have to be familiar with what state you're in. Also, you need to know what your overall professional body says too. So it's not just locally, North Carolina-wise, what they say, but I think it's also good to just to know, like for me, what ASHA says, and then just generally what the PT Association generally says and what the OT overall association says too. So number one, know the rules and familiarize yourself with them at least once a year. Reread them. Also, know your scope of practice. To me, this is so embedded in kind of what we do. I hate to even mention it, but I think it's important for this podcast just to call attention to it again, because you should always know and act in your scope of practice. But again, I think it's important just to say, know your scope of practice as the therapist and as the assistant. In your scope of practice, it doesn't say anywhere that if you're the supervising therapist, that you are that assistant's boss. You know, you're not. So you got to make sure you're careful and you're in your lane of what you do. So if I'm supervising the assistant, there's definite things that I am responsible for, but I am not their boss, meaning I am not holding them responsible for their job performance. You know, and Kirstie and I do that. There are people that I supervise, but Kirstie is their boss. So they're going to come to me about PDOs, time off, my schedule's falling apart, this doesn't work in my schedule, we're going to problem solve and troubleshoot that. Whereas the supervisor, Hayden, whether, you know, if it's an assistant, that it's directly related to therapy. So this child needs this, this child has an IEP coming up, I need this. It might be if Hayden's the supervisor and she needs to co-sign daily notes, she might say to the speech language pathologist assistant, hey, your notes aren't done for me to sign. I'm spot checking or I'm checking them and they're not ready to go. Well, she needs to then bring that to me because if somebody's not performing, I mean, that's a job performance. Daily documentation is required daily for a reason. You know, if you are supervising, know what you're supposed to do and get clarity on that from the boss. But at the same time, you don't have to run and tell the boss every little thing. Oh, you know, I got to work at eight this morning. So-and-so was there at 8.04. You know, I mean, really? Like, Mm -hmm. people chill. But it is important to know what to bring. So it's important for me in this role as the supervisor to what to bring to Kirsten's attention. Like if the daily notes consistently are done or if I'm having to remind the person, hey, their notes are not done for like three weeks and I can't co-sign them. Or, you know, that kind of thing is a job performance issue for Kirsten to handle and I would bring it to her for her to deal with it. But I don't, I'm not going to go run into her for every little teeny tiny thing because some right. of them, she doesn't need to deal with it. So know what it is you do and then understand where therapy starts and stops and where job performance starts and stops and don't overstep because that muddies the waters and makes things confusing. And then what happens is kids don't get the services that they need because people spend so much time doing things that aren't their job. And I think just knowing the scope of your practice, I mean, it's pretty standard across all disciplines that you are following the plan of care. So as an assistant, you don't change the plan of care. That is going back to the therapist. If something is not working, you're not making decisions about that child's therapy or for that child's therapy that aren't already determined. So I think just being careful of that. And if you are making recommendations to make sure that you've cleared that with the therapist before bringing that to the family's attention or in working with the child with that. Right. Or as an assistant, you shouldn't say, well, you know, I didn't really agree with these goals. I don't like this plan of care. I mean, no, no, no. you're a unified team. So that goes all into your scope of practice. Again, like Kirsten was saying, you don't change the plan of care and you don't say, well, I think you should have written these goals because you're not making up the plan of care. And so then at that point, you're really kind of borderlining on developing a different plan of care if you're talking to a family about different types of things to work on with their child. If you don't like the goals or if you think the goals aren't appropriate for the child or whatever, you should bring that up with a therapist. And you know what? It happens. Maybe they're not because maybe when you evaluated the child, they presented a world of days different Good, <laughs> than gosh, now yes. when you're seeing them. And that happens. You know, a child, it's the first time in. They have not worked with somebody. This is their first go in therapy. And so, you know, 
a month from now, they're at a completely different place. Authorization's now in place. The assistant starts working with them. And it's like, what were you thinking? Well, that's not a discussion with the family. That is a, hey, I need you on the phone like now because that plan is not working. Oh, gosh. (laughs) That's happened before when it happened not too long ago with me. I evaluated this child initially a year ago. I went back in six months ago. And the assistant was with me and it was time for the reeval and we were doing the new goals and all of that stuff. And I looked at her and I said, oh my gosh, these are not good goals at all. And she goes, yeah, I didn't think so. And I said, well, why didn't you tell me that they're way too hard for him? These are not good goals. Well, she goes, well, they were already written. I'm like, no, you got to tell me. I can't read your mind. I can't be everywhere at every minute. <laughs> so you have to tell me if something's not working. So I was like, you have to say these are not good goals. So yeah. I've shown up before. I'm like, man, these are the stupidest goals ever. Who wrote them? And there he goes, my name beside. I'm like, oh, jeez. So I but think- it's going to happen. I yeah. mean, we don't always get it right as the treating therapist and as the supervisor. No. Right. No, we're getting a snippet in time. So I think there's a certain level of respect, too, to be like, yeah, well, we got a very different picture. And so if you're seeing something different, it's your responsibility to call up and be like, hey, we're off base. Yes, exactly. And so I think point number three, because that leads us into point number three, is as a supervisor, because you are going to get stuff wrong, it's very important to listen, to listen to the assistant, listen to what they're saying about the child, about the family, be observant. You know, you don't need to go and be like, okay, it's my way or the highway. I mean, you need to definitely write the plan and be secure in your plan and stuff, but you don't need to be authoritative. You have to be open and listen and be observant because the assistant, they've been working with the child more than you have and they know a lot. So you should listen to them as you're writing the new plan and consider all of that. And I think, too, I've heard people say, oh, well, I haven't I haven't signed the avowal yet because I need to run it by the assistant. And I'm like, you don't. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I do think it's important to get their input and their feedback. But we should not be like waiting to get authorization to check that with the assistant. I think we should do that and gather our information going into the avowal to develop the plan or the reevaluation or, you know, whatever the case may be for changing that plan of care and changing the goals for the next six months, because as the treating therapist, if you're doing that evaluation, you should not only be talking to the assistant, but you should be talking to the teacher or the family too. So it's a whole team effort, especially when you're involving an assistant and including that person in the child's plan of care. And I think sometimes for if you're a new grad, you might fall into that, what Kiersey was saying. And I know here at PDT, we have the best assistants and we really do. We have the best and they are phenomenal. And I would really challenge people to come and observe and me not telling you who's the therapist and who the assistant and you wouldn't be able to pick them out. There's just no way because their therapy is phenomenal. They are so good because a lot of times as a new grad, you're going in and the assistant knows a lot more than you do. And you're like, let me double check with them. And But I think what you're saying is true. You don't need to double check with them. You need to listen. You need to make sure that you're getting all their input because it's critical and valuable and they have phenomenal input. But it's your plan of care. You need to write it Mm -hmm. and own it if it's good. And you got to own it if it's bad. And there you go. Um. (laughs) You know, you know, it's funny, though, because when you talk about like because you've gotten the input from the family and the teacher and you're getting the input from the assistant. So when the plan falls short or when it doesn't work, they've got to be on your team. It should be an open dialogue and it should be open communication. Hey, you always use the feathers example. So like (laughs) the pigeon and the feathers, like when you write the plan of care, like you bought the pigeons. So when there's feathers everywhere, somebody needs to help you clean them up. And that's what's going to happen. 
I mean, that's the way I would look at that relationship to be like, we're a team here. So I need your help. So the pigeon and feather example is as the boss, you know, and Kirsten, you've got this. So as a boss here, you or I might one day say, you know what? We're no longer using email or phones or texting or anything else to communicate. We're only using carrier pigeon, you know, and everybody in the room would be like, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. And they may tell us (laughs) that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. And then we say, great. Thank you for that input. Awesome. Yes, we don't hire robots here. We want people to think, however, the pigeons have been ordered and they'll be here tomorrow. And so then we try it with the pigeons. And when the pigeons die, and they will, then we need the rest of the team, exactly the ones who said, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. It's not going to work. But you know what? I am on your team. So bring on the pigeons and I'm going to clean up the bird poop. But when they all die, we're going to also need for them to help clean up all the feathers. And that's kind of what you're talking about with the assistant here. As a therapist, we got to be one team. And so at the end of the day, we have to all be in alignment. Yes. And bring your broom because there will be feathers. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying. There will because guess what? We're human too and we are not always going to get it right. No, we're not. And the assistant isn't always going to get it right either. So you got to have each other's backs and you got to support one another and you need to be in alignment at the end of the day and understand, hey, this is a group effort. We're going to make this right because we just want this child to get better. That's all we care about really at the end of the day. So that being said, you know, as a therapist, you don't want to be authoritative and you want to listen. You want to take in the input, but also as the assistant, you need to also make sure that you are listening and you're taking the ideas that the therapist is bringing in and you are open to trying new things and doing new things. I mean, even if you're an assistant, but not working for 20 years, you know a lot and nobody's discounting that, but maybe the therapist has a different idea, something you haven't tried, or maybe something you haven't tried particularly with that child. So you also need to be open and take in their ideas too. So I think that's important to say. So point number four is keep it practical and functional therapist. So you don't want to go in there with all of these ideas that are good in theory and a perfect world and the sun and the moon line up and everybody sings kumbaya and holds hands and it's all great. Keep it practical, keep it functional. Because if you've got all these pie in the sky ideas, it ain't gonna work, you know? So keep your therapy intervention strategy ideas that you're giving to the assistant, keep it practical and functional and something that can really be used. Because if it's not practical, you can't do it. And I think, too, that comes with a little bit of experience. And so people that are new coming out of school and this is what it said in the textbook and, um, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it again, is that realistic to get the child to do or to have the classroom set up and do? Not always. And so if you're setting the assistant up to do those things and it's not working, you're not really setting up a good working relationship there because you're asking them to do things maybe that aren't attainable or that aren't realistic. And really, that's just going to create frustration. It is. As therapists, we probably all have the example of something like that. But a therapist is new to the field, said the other day, okay, so hey, I think I really need to start working on categories with this little fella. Now, this little fella is four and a half and he's going to be five and Normally, if I say to you, speech therapist, four-year-old turning five, would categories be a generally thing you think that age child would do? The answer would be yes. However, this little fella doesn't have words yet. (laughs) So he's not talking. So categories really aren't the most important thing for him to work on. Is it generally an age-appropriate goal for most four-year-olds turning to five? Yes, it is. Is it appropriate for this four-year-old turning to five? No, it's not. So, you know, if you're writing goals that are right from the test, like we all do when we first graduate, that's great and all, but think about the practical application of them. And that's probably the best example I can think of right now about that. So for our point number five that we're trying to make with having an assistant, 
there are going to be times within an organization that there's shifting and changing or schedule changes. And, you know, maybe that's not your schedule or maybe that's not your plan. But as an organization, we do what is needed and we go where the need is. And if we have a PT assistant because we believe that they're the right person and the right who and they're on the team and they're on the bus, if we need a supervision visit done and yeah, maybe that's not your regular schedule, but supervision happens for PTs every 60 days. So we need to make sure that we maintain that or the therapist cannot treat. So does it ultimately affect the PT assistant? It ultimately affects the child. Mm -hmm. So when you're putting up a resistance to doing that, it's not about you. It goes back to our why. If you're saying, sorry, that doesn't really fit in my schedule or I don't really feel like doing that or no, I've already got three evals on my schedule. Well, it's not about you. It's about that child and that child cannot continue to receive services because we are not being compliant. So just like what happens with speech therapists, yeah, it's a lot of work to supervise a speech therapy caseload because you got to do all the first visits, all of them. Uh, in North Carolina, you do evaluate the child and do all the first visits and get that plan of care done. And if you can't, if you don't, the assistant can't see the child, which means those children are not going to get seen. And that's not what we do here. We see kids, we help them get better. And that means as the therapist, you have to go and do that. And I think understand your role as the therapist. This is the gig you signed up for. You're seeing kids, you're doing treatment, you're doing evaluations, you're writing plan of cares, and you're supervising therapists per the rules and guidelines as you are able to do that. And that's what you can do. So sometimes that means you are inconvenienced on your schedule and what you have to do, but that's because that's the role you're in. If you don't want to do that, then you pick the wrong role, but that's kind of where you are. That's your level. So you need to know it, you need to own it, and you just got to do it. You know, like Nike says, just do it. And we can't really do what we do without our assistance, without that team, because they're vital into providing the services that we do provide. So we just got to step up and do it. And yeah, it is a lot of paperwork. Yeah, to go and do all those speech visits and see them all. And I mean, the amount of paperwork is ridiculous. You basically have to reassess and reevaluate every single child and then write a report on that and then hand in other paperwork on top of that. It is a lot. Nobody wants to do that. We didn't go into therapy to do paperwork. (laughs) That's not why we wanted to do this. But we went into it to really help people. And in order to help people, you got to do that. But you know what, Kirsty? that being said, you're right. It is a lot of work and nobody wants to go and do all that bunch of paperwork. But honestly, as the supervisor, and when I'm in that role as a speech language pathologist is supervising an assistant, I feel like I really have the easy job. Like I get to do the fun stuff. Like I get to go in, I get to evaluate the child, which I really like to do because kind of like a little puzzle, you get to figure stuff out and problem solve. I think it's really cool. And so to me, that's fun. So I like to do that. And then I get to collaborate with the assistant again, more fun. I get to collaborate with the parent teacher, all of that like works for me. I love every bit of that. And then I get to write this plan of care and all that stuff. And I get to do the first session with the assistant. And then I really leave all the heavy lifting for her or him, you know, because I leave. And I'm not there day in, day out to do the therapy. I don't have to be there day in, day out when my therapy plan didn't go well. And I didn't have to be there day in, day out when there's a therapist to see in the child and the child doesn't really want to participate or do that. Or you got to be creative. Not that I don't love therapy. I do love therapy too. I'm just saying I have the good end of this bargain. And so I leave all the heavy work for the assistant who really is doing all the heavy work. So as a therapist, I need to really recognize that, be very appreciative and the paperwork that I have to do is a small price to pay for these kids to be able to see and get better. Because the cool thing is when the next time I come back and it'll be, you know, it'll be some sessions before I get back. I get to see how much better this child is. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it worked. This is awesome. I'm in a completely in a win-win situation. And these kids get better. And isn't that really what we signed up for? It's what we do. So I think really, I don't want to tell anybody, but I got the good end of this bargain, but keep it quiet. 
you said it too, like you like the evaluative part and you like that putting the puzzle together. I think too, when you're new and new stepping into this field and specializing in pediatrics, you're not as quick with evaluations. You're not as like, it takes you a little bit longer to think about what the plan of care needs to be or where this child is going. And a lot of our other podcasts fit into this. (laughs) So I love an evaluation too, and it doesn't seem like as daunting of a task, but for somebody new, it can be. So I think at the end of the day, we've just got to remember that it's not about us. It's never about us. We've said it before on other podcasts. We're Yoda. We're the trainer. We're the mentor. We're the whatever. It's about the child and helping them get better. And thank goodness we have the amazing assistants we have that help us get that job done because we wouldn't see or help nearly the number of kids if it wasn't for them. So thank goodness for them. I mean, I'm thankful. And really, I have the good end of the bargain, but I don't want to tell anybody. So let's not say a word. So really curious, we've kind of started to spill the beans on number six, but number six, I think really is it doesn't matter who the hero is. You know, it took me a while to get to this place. You know, as a therapist doing therapy day in, day out, I'm the one who established rapport with the child, with the family, all that stuff. And so and I liked being the one that the child was excited about seeing and was like, oh, yeah, Miss Hayden, we're going to go play and all that kind of stuff. Like, I liked that because... It meant the child was excited about doing therapy and we were making progress. And I like for them to be happy in therapy. So when I go in now and work with the assistant, the child doesn't have the rapport with me. Neither does the family. So I'm kind of like the invited guest sort of, you know, Mm -hmm. and they have the relationship with the assistant. Well, now I'm like, I love to see that because if the child has a relationship with the assistant, that's a good, healthy working relationship. The child's having fun. They're getting better. And I'm kind of like, who invited you? You know, like the kids looking at me like, what is she doing here? But that's to me what I want to see because I'm not supposed to be there every time, you know? So we're not the hero. So don't tie it to your ego and what we said earlier. It's not about us. The child is the hero. And really, if we kind of wrap this point up with any quote at all, it says, it's amazing what you can accomplish if you don't care who gets the credit. That's a quote from Harry Truman, by the way. But if you don't care who gets the credit, I think the therapist and assistant team can accomplish amazing things. So, Kirsty, thank you again for joining me. It's always good. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Your insights, always welcome and fantastic. You can catch out other podcasts on theworkingtherapist.com. Also, check out pediatricdt.com and there's a link there for The Working Therapist. We're also on iTunes and Stitcher. So check us out there as well. And I personally listen to it on my podcast app on my phone. But thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 